quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Reports of bombs dropping every 10 minutes. The lead starts right now. Constant bombardment in one strategic Ukrainian city. An art school bombed, hundreds possibly trapped, no access to food or water. And now the U.S. is warning Russian forces could be getting even more desperate. And then history on the Hill as the confirmation hearing begins for the first African-American woman nominated to the Supreme Court. Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson makes her opening statement. And a Boeing 737 crashes into the mountains in China with 132 people aboard, and no one knows why. Well, now the airline is grounding all of its 737 jets. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Pamela Brown in for Jake Tapper. And we start with our world lead and what top U.S. officials say is growing desperation among Russian forces to gain any momentum in their unprovoked war on Ukraine. This is what that looks like on the ground. Take a look here, starting in the key port city of Mariupol. A Ukrainian official inside that city says bombs are dropping every 10 minutes, and that includes striking civilian targets. Ukraine's president says 400 people may be trapped after a Russian bomb hit an art school being used as a shelter. And in the capital of Kyiv, surveillance video captured the moment a Russian attack hit a shopping center. Ukrainian officials say at least eight people were killed. Kyiv's mayor has now declared a new curfew, forcing shops, pharmacies and gas stations to close tomorrow. Let's get straight to CNN's Sam Kiley in Kyiv. Sam, first of all, what can you tell us about these latest attacks on and around the Ukrainian capital? Well, once again, Pamela, and this is a pattern we've seen now for pretty much a week, uh, Kyiv has been hit with precision ordnance. And by that, I mean targeted uh, missiles, not the dumb bombs that have been so widely used elsewhere in Kharkiv, in Kyiv, indeed, in the past, and, of course, in Mariupol, but something like a cruise missile in the American uh, armory. Now, this missile hit uh, very close or onto a, a shopping center in the north of the city, not very far from the front line. Uh, Russian uh, Ministry of Defense are claiming that they conducted this strike because there were uh, weapons being stored in that area by the Ukrainian armed forces. But nonetheless, there were eight people killed in what would otherwise be a civilian area. The strike came in uh, during nightfall. It's also an area, mercifully, where the local civilian population spends almost every night in bomb shelters or rather in metro stations and other underground locations because it is so close to the front line and it has been hit or there are fears that it could have been hit in the past, Pamela. And Sam, you met up with this musician who has now taken up arms and is preparing to defend Kyiv from the Russians. Tell us about that. Yeah, we have in the in here in Ukraine, we've got famous world-class sportsmen, world-class musicians, uh, all forms of uh, walks of life. Ukrainians have answered the call to arms from their president and joined uh, reserve units, uh, sometimes combat units. 
uh, all signing up to try to protect their nation. Of course, the artistic community is no different. But the interesting thing about the leading of Mandri is that he was one of the major forces, uh, one of the major artists who participated in the initial drive towards democratize this country. Here's his story. Singing to protesters in Kyiv's Independence Square eight years ago as a rock star, he helped drive a pro-Russian president from power. Now the lead singer of the band Mandri, Serhii Fomenko, is in uniform, fighting Vladimir Putin's invasion the old-fashioned way. Frankly speaking, these days have been very hard. I have a guitar, but I haven't been playing. Also, the last two weeks have been really difficult, because the enemy was trying to surround Kyiv, so there was no music. We evacuated people from Ipin, and it was a very difficult mission. We also had tasks in and around the city to accomplish, but I can't tell you everything. This, though, speaks loud. Civilian homes ripped open. Three million Ukrainians now refugees. Putin says he sent troops to save Ukraine from fascism. This is the real result. Hate. Hate. I am a person who grew up in the Soviet Union. I grew up with the idea that we were brothers and sisters. And now there is nothing but hatred for them. Our ladies' volunteers is working extremely efficiently. The singer Fomenko joined a reserve battalion funded by former President Petro Poroshenko, the billionaire first president after Ukraine shook off Russian influence eight years ago. It's not just Putin he blames for the war. You cannot wait until the Russian people under the sanction pressure will not be happy with the Putin. Because Russia have a more than 50% of the support of the Putin aggression and killing Ukraine, that should be a sanction against these Russian people. The location for the billionaire's 206th battalion is a military secret. But the militancy of its volunteers is not. Democracies will always win. Maybe it will take longer than everybody expected. But uh, Putin has chosen path of Hitler. And we already know how Hitler ends. For now, though, Ukraine is preparing to defend the birthplace of its modern democracy to the bitter end. Now, Pamela, clearly there is a lot of resistance against the Russians. The Russians are a big British and American uh, sources, military sources, saying that the Russians' command and control system is now under pressure, but they still have an awful lot of weapons. And we are seeing across the country, in addition to the bombardment of civilian areas with dumb bombs, the increased use of these very specifically targeted, very large weapons right across the country. Pamela? Sam Kiley, live for us in Kiev, Ukraine. Thank you, Sam, and be safe. President Biden held a call with key allies today about Putin's war on Ukraine ahead of his trip to Europe later this week. Sources say the world leaders hope to finalize and unveil a new group of measures aimed at punishing Russia. But as CNN's Phil Maddenly reports, that likely will not be enough to stop Putin's bloody and unprovoked siege. 
the President's view is that the way we need to avoid World War III is uh, preventing the United States from having direct military involvement on the ground. President Biden staring down one of the most critical weeks of his presidency as Russian strikes on Ukrainian civilians continue to escalate. Biden held a call with the leaders of key allies Germany, France, Italy and the UK while officials grapple with how to shift the dynamic in a crisis that shows no signs of abating. Coming out of this, uh, what the president is hoping to achieve is continued um, coordination uh, and a unified response to uh, the continued escalatory actions of President Putin. Biden set to travel to Europe in the highest stakes visit to the continent by a U.S. president in decades, at a moment when U.S. and NATO officials tell CNN Russia's invasion sits at a stalemate. They're not being effective today in terms of their, their maneuver forces on the ground. They're essentially stalled. And palpable fears that horrific Russian attacks are set to escalate. The Russian government continues to wage its unprovoked, brutal war on Ukraine. Each day brings more harrowing attacks. More innocent men, women, and children killed. All as U.S. officials remain unable to determine if Russia has even designated a military commander responsible for leading the country's war in Ukraine. Biden will attend a hastily scheduled extraordinary summit of all 30 NATO member country leaders, then participate in meetings of the European Council and G7 before traveling to NATO ally Poland, which borders Ukraine and is now the home to hundreds of thousands of refugees displaced by the Russian invasion. We're finalizing the details as we speak. This is a call all as the White House continues to urgently prepare for threats at home. Today's broader unclassified briefing is to raise that broader awareness and to raise that call to action. An attempt to manage the economic fallout, driving energy prices higher by the day. With top cabinet and White House officials planning to meet privately with top business leaders, including CEOs from the largest U.S. banks, manufacturers, agricultural and energy producers. And Pamela, U.S. officials are in discussions about new sanctions, humanitarian and military aid, but they recognize that the only one who can truly change the dynamic, President Vladimir Putin, for the U.S. and its allies, is to make it a strategic failure for as long as he continues on this path. Pamela. All right. Phil Mattingly live at the White House. Thank you, Phil. Joining me now to discuss is Admiral James Stavridis, a former NATO Supreme Allied Commander and the author of 2034, a novel of the next world war. Hi there, Admiral. So in our new CNN reporting, sources say the U.S. has not been able to figure out if Russia has even chosen a military commander responsible for leading the war in Ukraine. Why is that such a big deal? Um, It is bad generalship. And, you know, admirals, we love to criticize generals, but it's bad generalship to conduct a huge uh, nationwide operation without a single unitary commander. Example, Afghanistan. When I was Supreme Allied Commander, working for me were individual four-star generals, Dave Petraeus, John Allen, who would have command of all of the forces, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine Corps. Russia at this moment does not have that. It creates real confusion. It's part of why they're stalled.
And it is worth noting that this is obviously a huge undertaking for Russia militarily compared to more recent military activity from Russia um, in, in, you know, in Syria and Crimea, right? So you would think there would be someone at the top command and control, but so far U.S. officials have not been able to identify that. A senior NATO officer said today there appears to be a stalemate in Ukraine right now with Russian ground forces stalled, Russian air forces unable to control the skies, kind of going to what we were just talking about. Is that how you would describe the situation right now, a stalemate? I would add one thought to it. I would say, yes, appears to be something of a stalemate on the ground. You can find pockets moving back and forth. But the differentiator, Pamela, is the use of long-range fires, uh, bombers, cruise missiles, uh, long-range attacks against Ukrainian cities. And frankly, this is reminiscent of 15th century warfare. It's simply surrounding a city and pounding it into submission. This was the game plan often in Syria. Look at the ruins of the city of Aleppo. And I think Vladimir Putin, seeing that his blitzkrieg failed, plan A, has gone to plan B, terrorize the populations, pummel these cities into submission. Yeah, that's exactly what we're seeing here in the video that that is showing you the truth of what is on the ground. And to your point there, a senior Pentagon official said today that the Russians are near desperate to gain any momentum. And that is why they have increased the amount of long range missiles that they are using. Just how dangerous is this for the millions of civilians still trapped in Ukraine? Oh, it's deadly. And what you're seeing is the effect of the Alamo. Mariupol has become like the Alamo. It's a surrounded fortress just being bombed. And by the way, it's not just these long range uh, fires that are taking effect. Uh, Putin is also bringing in uh, Chechens and Syrians, very hardened, deadly urban fighters to create more terror with the population. And he's abducting leaders, mayors, Imagine the mayor of Atlanta hauled away with a bag over her head uh, or abducting normal Ukrainians and shipping them into Russia, into camps. What does that remind us of? Um, this is getting worse by the day. Yeah, you mentioned the Chechen. The Chechens are, are known for their brutal tactics. Uh, so that is a, an important point you're making there. Admiral James Stavridis, thank you for your time. You bet, Pamela. Thank you. Well, they survived rounds of shelling in the basement of their apartment building in Mariupol, but the horror didn't end there. CNN talks with one family that just managed to escape. In our world lead, more than 7,000 people were evacuated from Mariupol on Sunday after having fighting broke out in the southern city. CNN's Ivan Watson spoke to one family describing a harrowing scene, dodging bombs, shelling and looting, Not sure they'd make it out alive. Children at play, frolicking in an arcade meant to host games of laser tag. But these are not normal times. The owners here have turned their children's entertainment business into a makeshift shelter, a place to house dozens of Ukrainians who just fled the besieged port city of Mariupol. The last couple of weeks were being like a hell. Dmitry Shvets, his wife Tanya, and their daughter Vlada escaped Mariupol on Thursday. They endured weeks of Russian bombardment from artillery and airstrikes. Each 15-20 minutes, you can listen the airplane. It was like targeted, targeted, and then 
the sound you babam. Tanya kept a journal. March 2nd, day 7 of the war. Nothing's changed, she writes. No electricity or heat, and there's no running water now as well. They lived in the basement, and when they emerged, Tanya took photos and videos of their apartment building pockmarked with bullet holes, unexploded shells in residential streets, desperate people looting a bomb-damaged store for food. The problem is water. There is no water to drink. They scavenged for drinking water, pulling buckets from street sewers. Ah, if we were taking the water from the rainwater, taking the rain, waiting for the rainwater. Heavy shelling on nearby houses, Tanya wrote on March 5th. We all went to sleep with the thought of how to survive and stay alive. One day a shell exploded near Dmitry as he stood in line for water. A bomb fell down and killed like three people in front of us. One guy was without head, uh, who was like uh, taking the water. Another one in the line was like a half of the head. And the last one was killed. With my own eyes, like not in a general, like a three people completely I saw killed and we were making the grave for them. You dug a Dig grave in. for them? Yes. In your neighborhood? Yes. Finally, it was all too much. The last day I saw my father because my mother was completely destroyed mentally. I mean, it was like a completed depression, was sitting in the cellar and even she haven't left the cellar since the beginning of the war. Just staying inside, unfortunately. And the last day I saw my father and he begged me, like, please, guys, leave, leave somewhere. I don't know where, just escape this, escape this. And he was crying. Dimitri and his wife and daughter piled into a car with friends and spent 15 hours driving through Russian front lines to escape the siege of Mariupol. Their parents refused to leave. I don't know if I'm going to see my parents or listen to my parents again. I don't know, no idea. It's like living from day to day. Today we are alive, tomorrow maybe not. In the relative safety of this arcade built to entertain children, the kids welcome the escape from the conflict. I really want to say hello to other children, Tanya's seven-year-old daughter Vlada says, and I want the war to end quickly. Her parents appear haunted, clearly traumatized. Tanya gets a call from her mother in Mariupol, weeping and saying goodbye because she fears she will not survive the night. Now, Pamela, here's the thing about Mariupol. It's geographically close to Russia. It's a Russian-speaking city, and some residents say, you know, they felt like they were first and foremost ethnic Russians, perhaps ahead of Ukrainian national identity. And there was just this inability to comprehend then why Russia would start trying to kill people like them in their own homes. Just a, 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 they could not comprehend it. Or as Dmitry, the man that we just heard from in that report said, he's like, we've been told that Russians and Ukrainians are brothers. I can't imagine a brother killing another brother. Mm -hmm. That is what is happening in that city right now. Yeah, you. I think a lot of Ukrainians are feeling that way. I think something like 10 million Russians have relatives in Ukraine. And, and what he said in your piece was so powerful, saying, today we're alive, tomorrow maybe not. I just can't imagine uh, what it is like to be in their shoes right now. Ivan Watson and Dnipro, Ukraine, thank you. Up next, Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson giving her opening statement at her confirmation hearing to become the first black woman to serve on the U.S. Supreme Court.
And topping our politics lead, a historic hearing kicks off on Capitol Hill. It is the confirmation hearing for Supreme Court nominee Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson, the first black woman ever tapped for the nation's highest court. As CNN's Jessica Schneider reports, Republicans use this hearing to hint at their lines of attack in the days to come. Please raise your right hand. An historic first for America's highest court as confirmation hearings begin for Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson, the first black woman ever nominated to the Supreme Court. I hope that you will see how much I love our country and the Constitution and the rights that make us free. Senators made note of how monumental this moment is. You are showing so many little girls and little boys across the country that anything and everything is possible. Republican senators also referencing the historic moment. I have said in the past that I think it's good for the court to look like America, so count me in on the idea of making the court more diverse. But they also previewed lines of attack they'll roll out during the question and answer sessions that begin tomorrow. Senator Josh Hawley leading the charge, laying out several cases where Jackson, while a federal trial court judge in D.C., used her discretion to hand down lighter sentences for child pornography offenders than prosecutors had requested. Prosecutors recommended 24 months in prison. Judge Jackson gave the defendant three months in prison. Judge Jackson will likely explain her reasoning for the lower sentence when she answers questions. The White House has already said her sentences were in line with what the U.S. Probation Office recommends. But Senator Hawley preemptively rebutted her response Monday. Some have said that the federal sentencing guidelines are too harsh on child sex crimes, especially child pornography. I'll just be honest, I can't say that I agree with that. Republicans will likely also target Judge Jackson for being, quote, soft on crime, pointing in particular to her defense of detainees at Guantanamo Bay. I understand the importance of zealous advocacy, but it appears that sometimes this zealous advocacy has gone beyond the pale. But Republicans also promising her confirmation will not turn to personal attacks. They repeatedly referenced Justice Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation hearings when he faced days of tough questions about accusations he assaulted his high school classmate, Christine Blasey Ford, during a summer party before he was a senior. Judge Jackson, I can assure you that your hearing will feature none of that disgraceful behavior. No one is going to inquire into your teenage dating habits. No one is going to ask you with mock severity, do you like beer? If Jackson is confirmed, the ideological split on the 6-3 court will remain the same because she's replacing liberal justice Stephen Breyer, for whom she served as a law clerk more than 20 years ago. I know that I could never fill his shoes, but if confirmed, I would hope to carry on his spirit. And Republicans are promising no personal attacks, but things are definitely likely to get a lot more heated tomorrow. That's when the questioning begins. And Judge Jackson will have to explain her record as a public defender, a member of the U.S. Sentencing Commission, and her near decade as a federal judge. Pamela? Jessica Schneider, thank you so much. Joining me now live to discuss CNN Plus anchor and correspondent Adi Cornish and Stanford law professor Nate Persilli who attended junior and senior high school with Judge Jackson. Great to see you both. Um, Nate, let's start with you. You participated together in speech and debate with Judge Jackson. She actually talked about your teacher today um, in her statement about the positive influence the teacher had on her. But tell me what your takeaway was today. 
Well, that's right. We did uh, uh, debate together. Uh, this, uh, there's been a lot of attention to that teacher and to that team. And it really, uh, she was a formative influence in both of our lives and, and many of the other teammates there. Um, and you could see uh, from Judge Jackson's uh, speech today um, how she, you know, why she won national competitions and oratory at the time, right? Uh, she was a star uh, back then. Uh, she was elected mayor of our junior high school, which was like uh, student council president. She was then, you know, president of all of our classes and everything. So, so the excellence uh, that we saw back then is reflected today as well and will reflect well on her as a justice. Adi, does the tone of today's hearing tell you anything about what will happen in the days to come when Judge Jackson takes questions from the senators? I think the key description is lines of attack. Uh, there's no coordinated, uh, sort of cohesive line of attack from Republican lawmakers about this. It may be in part because they've already approved her three times for various positions, including the Sentencing Commission. And so this is her fourth time before some of these lawmakers. They've asked the same questions in the past, and you're hearing some of those lines come back again. You could kind of describe it as soft on. Soft on, fill in the blank. Um, and that's what you're going to be hearing most of tomorrow. You know, it, it is her fourth time, Nate. But this still obviously carries a lot of weight given the historic nature of this nomination. Well, as you saw, uh, today's confirmation hearing was in many ways not about Judge Jackson. Uh, it was about the Supreme Court confirmation process. I mean, Judge Kavanaugh's uh, confirmation hearing and the issues that came up in that are not terribly relevant to what's happening uh, with Judge Jackson, except that uh, in this day and age, all the polarization that we see in Congress then is sort of filtered through the lens of a confirmation hearing like this. Uh, but I should say that, look, it's totally fair to look at her opinions and to ask her questions about those, just like with every, any other uh, judicial nominee. But, um, you know, I'm at least encouraged for the moment that we haven't seen any uh, sort of character assassination or really going after her um, uh, personal life and the like. And, 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 and that's appropriate because she has been just exemplary. I, I can tell you, you know, over the last 40 years of knowing her, uh, she is so smart, so qualified, such a hard worker, um, and really she'll bring an enormous amount to this court. Adi, you know, Republican Senator Lindsey Graham, he's getting a lot of attention because he also voted in her favor uh, previously. He spent his opening remarks airing some grievances that he has. Listen to this. There won't be this constant attack on you like Judge Kavanaugh and other conservative judicial appointments. There won't be any questioning of where you go to church, what kind of groups you're in in church, how you decide to raise your kids what you believe in, how you believe in God, nobody's going to do that to you. And that's a good thing. So you're the beneficiary of a lot. You're the beneficiary of a lot. What did you make of that comment? Oh, well, the full quote is, you're the beneficiary of a Republican nom of uh, Republican nominees having their lives turned upside down. So you're seeing the tone is the culmination of the Gorsuch hearings, of Kavanaugh hearings, of uh, the Coney Barrett hearings, and Republicans saying, look, you treated our people terribly, and no matter how nice this woman is, maybe turnabout is fair play. I also heard Senator Graham essentially giving the green light to Senator Hawley to pursue his line of questioning um, about her sort of thinking on the sentencing of pedophiles. This is a very like intense uh, and to de Democrats smarmy line of questioning that they've been criticizing already. Um, and you heard Graham say, look, I wouldn't do it, but uh, Senator Hawley has some valid questions to ask. So I think you're, the tone here is the culmination of several years of very harsh battling over nominees.
All right. Thank you so much, uh, Nate Persilli and Audie Cornish. And we should mention that Audie will be debuting on CNN's streaming network, CNN Plus, next week. A Boeing 737 with 132 people aboard plummets from the sky and crashes into a mountain in China. The search for answers is just beginning. In our worldly China, Eastern Airlines is grounding all of its Boeing 737s, according to Chinese state media, after the airline confirmed one of its flights carrying 132 passengers crashed in southern China on Monday. There are still no details on the number of casualties, but new flight tracking data shows the plane plunging more than 29,000 feet in less than two minutes. Let's get right to CNN's Pete Montine. So what happened here, Pete? Well, it's simply too soon to say because the flight data recorder and the cockpit voice recorder simply have not been recovered yet so far as we know. What we do know is that this flight made an incredibly fast descent before crashing. There are security images obtained by Chinese state TV that show China Eastern Airlines Flight 5735 in a near vertical dive. This is all backed up from data from Flight Radar 24. It shows this flight cruising at an altitude of 29,000 feet. Then this rapid descent begins, and all of that altitude lost in less than two minutes' time. The bottom line here from pilots who have flown the 737 is that these planes simply do not fall out of the sky. Listen. It's probably one of the safest airplanes ever built I mean, there are, like I said, there's over 10,000 of them built, over 4,600 of them flying right now. It was designed almost to be like the Model T of airplanes so that anybody could fly it. What we can say definitively is that this was not caused by MCAS. That's the center, the system at the center of the 737 MAX crashes. This plane does not have that system because even though it is a 737, it is not a MAX. This was a Boeing 737 800. Even still, this is giving airlines a lot of pause. China Eastern Airlines has already grounded its fleet of 737-800s. The 737-800 is the second most popular airliner worldwide. 4,500 planes in service, nearly 800 here in the U.S., Pam. So most of us who have flown probably have been Very likely. All right, Pete, thank you so much for that report. Let's discuss now with CNN aviation analyst Peter Goals. You know, Peter, there are no details right now on the number of casualties, but What are you expecting to learn on that front? Well, given the uh, the video that that we saw, uh, there 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 are likely no survivors whatsoever. In fact, it's going to be a very gruesome and difficult task even identifying uh, the victims. This this accident, you know, the early evidence is very ominous because, as as Pete said, these planes don't fall out of the sky at cruise altitude. There apparently was no radar radio contact, and uh, the idea that the plane dove until about 8,000 feet, then climbed for a momentary uh, up another 1,000 feet, and then plunged at a 90-degree angle into the ground is very disturbing and reminiscent of other tragic accidents. What do you make of the speed? I mean, the plane plunging 25,000 feet in less than two minutes. Well, the, the, the thing that is true in that, any pilot will, will tell you, to control a plane in that kind of dive at that kind of speed takes a lot of uh, energy and takes a lot of skill. Somebody's hands were on the wheel making that plane go down like that. 
and that's what's disturbing. You know, we there there have been a number of uh, crashes in the past where you know you zero in on pilot behavior. The German wings accident, the Egypt Air accident, both of which I worked on, and the uh, Silk Air accident. Uh, I'm afraid the early evidence on this accident, they say, there's points uh, that that you're going to do a hard look at the flight crew. Yeah, and of course, right now it's just speculation because we don't have anything confirmed. We're waiting for more facts, but there will be an investigation. Um, tell me what investigators are going to be looking at and looking for exactly. Well, the, the, the first question uh, that will be presented to the, to the Chinese air carrier and Chinese government is, are they going to conduct the investigation under the ICAO, which is the International Aviation Organization, under their investigative guidelines? And if they are, then they would invite a representative from Boeing and a representative from the United States to sit in on the investigation uh, and, uh, and help uh, the Chinese vest- investigators uh, identify the probable cause. I mean, the biggest thing they can do right now is try and uh, recover the flight data recorder and the voice recorder. But uh, with that kind of impact, boy, this, th- those recorders could be damaged. All right, Peter Goles, thank you so much. We'll continue to track this story. We appreciate it. Thank you. Coming up, new warnings about the Omicron subvariant here in the United States. Why some health officials say this may not cause another surge. Let's go back to CNN senior medical correspondent Elizabeth Cohen. So, Elizabeth, you were explaining why Dr. Fauci believes the Omicron subvariant may not result in a surge here in the United States. Right. So the hope is that there was so much Omicron the first time around, Pamela, so many people, we saw those huge case numbers. There's some, there's hope that that will protect people now when the second wave is coming. Now, we don't know that it will, but there's reason to be hopeful. So let's take a look at what we know about the BA2 variant. We know that it is 50 to 60% more transmissible than the original Omicron variant. That's saying a lot because we know that that one was really transmissible. There is no evidence that it is any more severe than the original Omicron variant. That is great news because we know that the original Omicron, I mean, it wasn't nothing, but it was so much more mild than Delta or any of the predecessors. So there's hope that this one will remain mild too. Now, as far as the vaccines, how much good will that do against this this version of Omicron? We don't know. We know that the vaccines work to some extent against the original Omicron, but not nearly as well as anyone would have liked. Pamela? I'm going to ask you about this new study that was just released today in the Journal of the American Medical Association finding that getting COVID while pregnant doubles or triples the risk of certain complications. So how should pregnant people uh, protect themselves and their baby with this latest information? You know what, Pamela, this one is easy. Pregnant women need to get vaccinated. And I know, having been pregnant several times, uh, as have you, that you you sort of always a little, I don't want to put anything in my body. But let me tell you, if you don't get vaccinated against COVID-19, you are putting yourself and your baby at risk. Let's take a look at what this study in the Journal of the American Medical Association found. They found that women who got COVID-19, pregnant women who got COVID-19, they were more than twice the risk of go, of having a baby early, more than twice the risk and more than three times the risk. The moms were more than three times the risk of having blood clots in their veins. It is just not worth taking that risk. 
people who are pregnant should be getting vaccinated. Yeah, and, and it is worth emphasizing we have actual data to back up the complications that pregnant women can have with COVID. And you're not seeing that kind of thing when it comes to the vaccine. Let me ask you about Dr. Scott Gottlieb, former FDA commissioner and a Pfizer board member, saying this on Sunday. I think this is really a six-month vaccine in terms of providing really meaningful protection against symptomatic disease and infection. And this is likely to become an annualized vaccine for the majority of Americans. So why do we need to keep boosting our immunity? The reason why is that these mRNA vaccines that are out there are so good, but antibodies do wane. And I will tell you, Pamela, when I hear you're going to have to get it once a year or even twice a year or even, God, let's say three times a year, we should all just be so grateful that these vaccines exist. What is the big deal if you have to go to CVS and buy your shampoo and your toothpaste and then roll up your sleeve twice a year to get a shot? What's the big deal? It will keep us from going through the hell that we've all been through in the past two years. Such a good point, Elizabeth Cohen. Thank you very much. And our coverage continues now with Wolf Blitzer and the Situation Room. See you tomorrow. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.